What's going on? It's the Tamale Mafia Podcast, the place where everything and nothing collide. I'm Aaron, and welcome to another week in the Tamale Mafia universe. Got a little bit of echo reverb going on in this room. Sounds good. Sounds good. I like it. What's going on, guys? How's everybody doing? Have you had a good week? Have you had a good week? I have fully recovered from my TSA experience just in time for me to head back into the airport in a couple of days. Hopefully the TSA is listening to this and they have marked me for another great experience. So I can have some content for this show. Um, yeah, so on Tuesday, I'll be headed up to Boston. Never been to Boston before. Boston has been uh, one of my bucket list cities to go check out because... First of all, I love traveling. I love uh, spending time in new cities and new places. And one of my bucket list goals is to not only hit specific cities that are on my list, but to visit every state uh, in the U.S. So I've, I've pretty, I've done pretty good. I've, uh, I think I've done thirty something states at this point, um, and I've done most of the. Uh, eastern seaboard <laughs> from Florida on up but with the exception of see I've been to Connecticut and Massachusetts before I've never been to Boston so this trip I'm going to hit Boston um, knock that off my list and then I'm also going to knock out a couple of other states while I'm up there that I've never been to before so the those far tip states you know Vermont New Hampshire Maine getting on into Saskatchewan, you know, right there. I've not been to a lot of those. Rhode Island, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont are are some states that I haven't hit. So uh, I plan to hit one or two of those this, uh, this coming week. Um, and so there will be plenty of content. We'll talk, I'll be able to talk about that uh, next week when I get back. Just going up there for a little vacation, going to go see my best friend and Spend some time up there, um, so that should be that should be fun. Uh, and if you're listening to this and you're like vacation, then uh, forget I said vacation. I mean, I'm going to go do some work, um, and when I'm done working, I'll be back. All right. So the podcast is doing well. We had a weird week. We had again. I, I talked about that anomaly, like major jump in, in listenership over a couple of days, and then it went back down. So now we're about 20 something, 20, 30 downloads for last week, which is fine. It's just, I just don't understand. I haven't gotten to the, the, I haven't gotten used to the up and down the flow of how it works out. But uh, one thing I thought was really cool is we are expanding our listener base in Australia and Canada and Thailand. So we're adding listeners there. So that's pretty cool. So a special shout out to my Australian and Canadian friends. Thailand, how's it going, Thailand? Thailand's another place that I want to go to. I've got a buddy over there, Scott. And Scott went to Thailand, uh, I think, to visit, just on the little vacation thing, kind of like I'm doing to to go to Boston. He went to Thailand, and he never came back. Um, He didn't disappear. He just loved it so much that he just didn't come back. So I think he came back briefly a couple of times for some work to pack up his house or whatever. And then he is now in Thailand as living as a digital nomad, just traveling around. His Instagram and uh, Facebook pages are phenomenal to watch because apparently Thailand is beautiful. So one of these days I'm going to make it over there to Thailand um, and, you know, who knows? Maybe uh, by the time I get there. We'll have more than four listeners, and we can have a listener party, <laughs> me and the uh, five or six of them. All right, so podcast is doing pretty good. Um, thank you guys again for listening. Now, if you're not familiar with the podcast, this is your first time listening, you can find this podcast on Podcast Addict if you're on Android or iTunes if you're not. Um, what else is going on? I don't know. This week has been kind of kind of slow, man. This is I've just been knocking out some work, trying to get ready for this next trip. Um, Easter came and went. Uh, you know, 
Easter, today was kind of a, a day because, you know, I record this on Sundays and then uh, pr- uh, release it on Mondays. So usually when I'm talking, I'm, I'm saying today, I'm meaning Sunday. Um, but I don't know, man. Sunday was, Easter Sunday was kind of a a little bit more of a day of reflection for me than it's than it's been in the past. Um, I don't know. Uh, I guess... In my previous life, I feel like we live several lifetimes in a lifetime. You know, there's like, you go through decades of one kind of indoctrination or one kind of belief system or path. And then you go through a phase where you're like, man, did I really think that? Or was that me? And then you you believe, you kind of think of the other things and you pursue other things. And, you know, we do that with relationships and careers. And we're, we're constantly evolving and changing as people, you know? So... When I look back, I think there was this whole other me that was very much um, religiously tied to Easter and what Easter meant for with a religious kind of ideology. So a Christian religious ideology is Easter is like the big resurrection. Jesus died and he was buried and rose again. That's the that's the big celebration. Um, Some churches, I think, take it so far as to. Uh, try to exclude any kind of paganism from their day. So this is all about Jesus and not about bunnies and Easter eggs. Um, I think other people kind of blend the ideas. You know, we're going to celebrate Jesus and have an Easter egg hunt. Uh, And then there's those people that look down on those people and they kind of battle back and forth. Like, you're worldly and you're liberal. And, you know, there's just constantly these battles and stuff. And I was more... In my previous life, I was more on the, um, I guess, strict side of that. Like, I don't know, maybe I was a little blended, a little more blended than I give myself credit for. But I was still, it was still like, this is the day that we focus on Jesus, which really bothers me because I kind of started feeling this way about Christmas. Like, one of the things I, I really got frustrated with seeing was like when People say Jesus is the reason for the season. I mean, first of all, it's dumb. It's a cliche and it, it rhymes and it's cutesy, but it's it's a dumb thing to say, in my opinion, because if you're a Christian who follows Jesus, then Jesus would be the reason for all things, right? He would be the reason for all existence. He wouldn't be the reason for the season, which I don't know what the season is. Um, if you're talking about winter, I think people say, oh, it's a holiday season, but does that, I don't know, I'm, I, I start breaking it down too much. I think I'm overly critical of people that say things like that. Um, but I know, I guess they mean the holiday season, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and Jesus is the reason for all of that because of his birth or whatever. But really, I mean, if you look back over time, it's like these were pagan holidays. These were pagan ritual uh, days where they would, uh, the pagan religions would worship their gods or their deities, um, their mythologies or whatever. And then the Christians came along and were like, no, we want to be able to celebrate it too. So we're going to make it about Jesus because after all, Jesus is the reason for the season. Um, And then it kind of becomes this thing. So not only do the Christians kind of steal the day, then the Christians also like started looking down on people who didn't celebrate it the Jesus way. So all of that really frustrates me um, and has for a really long time. Even when I was really in my faith and really like uh, practicing my faith a lot. Now I was, I've been a minister. I was a bit pastor and this kind of stuff. So if you don't know my background. So I have that kind of really deep doctrine, indoctrinated background of Christianity. But... Even then, it kind of bothered me. Like, why do we... How can we How can we steal somebody's day celebration? How can we take their celebration and then make it about something that we want it to be about? And then, in, on top of that, look down on them or look down on others for not making it... For not celebrating it the way we want them to. When we stole the day to begin with. So, 
I don't know. And I think, I know there's debate and there's people that say, no, that's not true. It was, uh, if you look back in history, uh, Jesus preceded Santa Claus or whatever. But um, historically, the day of, of December 25th or the day of Easter, the, what you know, how it's celebrated, I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm not a historian, but it just, I think it bothers, I know it bothers me that people um, have these strong belief systems where they go, you can't do this and you can't celebrate that way. Uh, my brother, who, um, I, I'm going to tell you a little bit about, about my brothers today because my brother, we're all hoodlums, right? In our own ways. We're all wild, wild west gangsters. Um, but one of my brothers, uh, Adrian, he sent me this, this thing that he, he saw, um, and I got to look it up because I thought it was pretty funny. Doop, doop, doop. Okay. Where is it? Doop, doop, doop. Right here. All right, it was like a, a sign in front of a church, and it said, Zero baskets, zero eggs, zero bunnies, zero paganism, 100% Jesus. <laughs> oh, and he said, I was thinking uh, zero attendance. Yeah, I was thinking zero relevance. I mean, come on, man. All of that trouble, zero paganism, 100% Jesus. I mean, what are you doing what, are you, what is the message you're sending to people? Oh, we welcome everybody here. Zero paganism, 100% Jesus. Ah, I mean, okay, look. If you're going to say that you're all about Jesus, because I saw another thing that it was a shirt that was like, no, no this, no that, only Jesus, something. Yeah, and a lot of religion. Okay, so you're gonna, you have to put, you have to add that, right? You can't just say, Zero paganism, 100% Jesus. You you would have to say like, almost, we try to go for zero paganism. We get as much Jesus as we can, humanly. And then, because we're a church, we're going to give you a whole bunch of religion too. I don't know. that I've, If I saw something like that, I would be like, oh, I respect that. I can totally respect that. Now I have a little. Obviously, you can tell by the way I'm talking, right? I have a I have a bent attitude towards religion, um, and so yeah, that's the viewpoint I have. I'm trying to figure out how to how to have faith without having religion, and it's a little bit difficult after being you know 30 years indoctrinated in something. But the point is. Is that, yeah, I have a little bit of bent attitude against religion. And when I see things that's like zero baskets, zero eggs, zero bunnies, zero paganism, 100% Jesus, it kind of makes me mad. Because I'm like, there's no way that's true. But even if it was, I mean, how are you, How? what is the message you're sending to people who don't get that? What is the message you're, you're oh, we welcome everybody here. Bring your gay lovers and your black friends and, you know... It's like, it's such an old school way of thinking that, I mean, the church has traditionally been against, uh, against people, right? I mean, against progress and against moving forward with society. So against gay marriage, uh, against interracial relationships, against um, a lot of things, right? I mean, I was raised in a place where we were like protesting everything. We had book burnings and TV smashings. I remember uh, being a little kid and watching, uh, watching people in our church like have this TV smashing ceremony. So they, people brought their TVs and they would smash them with sledgehammers, and they had burn barrels where they were throwing in books and Cabbage Patch dolls, and you know, there's like stories that would that were these rumors that would go around. They threw a Cabbage Patch doll in the fire and it screamed, you know, because Cabbage Patch dolls are demon possessed, apparently. I mean, come on, dude. This is the this is the stuff that I grew up with. And then we wonder now, kind of like as we've gotten older, we look back and go, why do Christians have such a bad name? Well, because you're doing bullshit like that. 
And you're putting fucking signs up in front of your church that say zero this, zero bunnies. Zero bunnies. Fuck bunnies. We don't need bunnies here. Yeah. I mean, bunnies are cute, but not not Jesus cute. Yeah. I mean, come on, dude. It's so it's so annoying to me that you see that I when I every time I see things like that, it just it just uh drives me crazy. And so I don't think after after the years of of time that I've spent studying the Bible through a specific lens, right? Okay, I was I was studying the Bible through an, an indoctrinated lens. This is how we believe, and this is what we believe, and this is what the Bible means when it says this or that. And this is how I studied the Bible, and this is how I went into ministry, okay? So I was studying all this stuff through a specific lens. And then that lens kind of shattered when I realized that there were a lot of holes in the system. There was a lot of problems with the way people carry out that message, right? So I was in a, in, in a church in several different um, places where it became a lot more about making money and putting on a show and it became important to leverage people to leverage people's emotions and I mean we would there were literally discussions behind the scenes you know about how to do this how how to do this better how to better leverage people's emotions how to make them uh, how to how to get people almost like to manipulate them into um, volunteerism or um, to support certain projects or ideas. Well, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to, and so I, I just became very against that because I didn't see. I was wondering, like, is that what Jesus did? I mean, did Jesus in his life? I mean, whether you whether you believe that Jesus was God or not, Jesus existed historically. There's plenty of evidence, um, and so. What you believe about Jesus, whether he was God or not, doesn't uh, doesn't really matter to the point of what did Jesus do when he was here, okay? Not what did, what did people say about Jesus or believe about Jesus, but what did Jesus actually do? That's the kind of perspective I started re- reading and studying scripture with. What did Jesus actually say? What did Jesus actually do? And the things I saw Jesus saying and doing, I was like, okay, Jesus was not like leveraging people um, with uh, like trying to play on their emotions or leveraging their fears, um, manipulating them. You know, Jesus was like, spent a lot of time serving people. Jesus spent a lot of time hanging out with people who were, who were <laughs> pagans, right? Jesus spent a lot of time like, so Jesus, I don't think Jesus would have liked or walked into the church that said, zero bunnies, fuck bunnies. You know, Jesus would have probably been like, um, what's wrong with bunnies? And, and why are you condemning people who don't even, who don't even know what you're talking about? Okay. Jesus was, was like hanging out with those people. The people that were celebrating pagan rituals and holidays and stuff. Jesus was was spending time with those people. Now, I've been told my whole life that, well, you can't do that. Jesus was Jesus. He was perfect and he wouldn't sin. And if you go hang out with those people, then you're going to sin. So you got to hang out with only Christians. So my only friends could be Christians. My only business associates, my only dealings and interactions could be with other Christians. Because God forbid I talk to the wrong person and they suck me down this this into skin row and I find myself addicted to drugs because I try to tell somebody that Jesus loved them. You know, I mean, there's so much fear and there's so much uh, bullcrap kind of tied up in the things that I experienced, okay? Now, maybe you have a different experience. Maybe your church was like, has all, you know, has been about love and serving people and there's never been a discussion about um, how to inspire volunteerism by manipulating people okay maybe you've never had a conversation like that maybe you've never had a conversation with somebody who said hey let's make these people cry tonight i mean (laughs) i actually have a guilty conscience at times that i've had to work through 
because of those conversations that we've had, that we had, that I had with other leaders, right? So it was like, let's leverage emotion. Then that wasn't specifically said, but somebody did say, let's make these people cry. And you can do it. It's easy. You put the right, you put the right music with the right words and the right lighting. People can get, you can manipulate people's emotions pretty easily. And so what are you, what is the purpose of manipulating those emotions? It's trying to get people to respond, right? People to, so that you could say, oh, we're doing a great work here because look how many people responded. We made them cry. The spirit really moved tonight. Well, the spirit didn't really move anybody. It was, we manipulated the situation. And so, you know, it it's it's that kind of stuff that, really started to to just drive a wedge between me and religion and the church that I was uh, serving and working in. And as I got more involved on the larger platform, okay, now we're talking about a recognizable large platform with uh, TV time, okay, that kind of stuff. The more involved I got in those kind of situations, the more frustrated I became because the bigger the machine becomes to create that environment, to make that work, and to pay those bills, and to keep that going. So it begins to to resemble less of what Jesus did and resemble more of what corporations do to stay afloat. And the expectations are high. Um, and the conversations are, to me, manipulative. So it drove a wedge. So I I was like, okay, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm done with religion. I don't want to go to church. I don't want anything to do with church. And I backed off. And that was around the same time that I was going through this like realization and kind of like, you know what? I never allowed myself to admit that I was abused as a kid by someone connected to the church that I was going to. Um, and there was some emotion there about the structure that was in place that, that protected an individual through power, okay? So that someone in a position of power was able to do things and leverage that power... To make me feel, as a little kid, like I was a chosen, special person, right? And there was so there was a structure that was in place, a religious structure in place that, that allowed power to be leveraged. And then if anything had been said or would have been said, I didn't have the wherewithal at that age to think this is wrong, okay? But if I had and I said, hey, this is what happened to me, I would... I am convinced today that 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 would have been squashed because the position of power of certain people's of certain people in certain positions um in that system that position of power was un uh it was uncrossable right so yeah so i had to go through that i had to, i was like i never allowed myself to to feel broken. I never allowed myself to feel like I was hurt as a kid because I didn't really realize it at the time. So it, was, it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized that was super fucking wrong. And so when I went through the healing process, it was really dark. I mean, I got, I, w- I was having trouble getting out of bed for like days. I mean, it was, I was super depressed for like a solid year. It was a bad situation. And that was about the same time that I really pulled back from the church. And I was like, got really angry at the church too, because I was like, I need to allow myself to feel this. And this was all kind of in, in a, in a time of like meditation. I was really close in my relationship with God still. So my faith was strong, but my experiences were not strong, right? My experiences were telling me that something was wrong here, but my faith in my, with my, what I believe was my creator was not shaken. So I was like, praying and meditating like god is this what i sh- is this what i'm supposed to do am i supposed to go into this time and just let myself go and feel 
this anger and feel this hurt. And I really felt like God was saying yes, because you're not going to move forward in healing unless you go backwards and feel this. And you have to kind of let yourself experience. You have to go through through mourning and you have to go through hurt, right? You can't just hide from it and pretend like the, the wounds aren't there because they're bleeding out. You have to go and address them. You have to take care of those wounds and, and, and patch them up and, and heal those wounds, right? So I had all these wounds that were just bleeding out, these like spiritual or mental wounds or whatever. Not like, you know, physical wounds, but I had hurts, right? So I was carrying those things and then they were just bleeding out of me, right? So um, I felt like in my time of prayer and my relationship with my creator, I was like, okay, this is something that I need to do. And it got super dark and I was really upset and I was angry and I it was all this like, why would you do this to me? Why would you bring me here you, after all that I've been through? <laughs> and, and this was like a really dark place and now I don't even want to live. Why would you let this happen to me? And why would you, you know, why would you tell me to do this? And I just felt like God in that moment when God was like continuing to say, hey, just just hang in there because you're going to get where you want to go. You just have to get down into the dark for a bit. You just have to get go through this. You like take a couple of steps back to go forward. It's you're in the curve, right? So I went through that. And and then there was another moment where it was like, okay, you did it. You're through it. Now come up out of it. You're good. And I did that, right? So I started like, all right, I'm out of that. But my relationship with church was done. I mean, it was done. There was no any kind of desire or thought like, I want to go back there. It was done. But my faith still hadn't been really shaken. And my faith in my creator was still there. And then it was kind of like, now what do I do? Because I've been indoctrinated and I've been following this religious path for, I mean, since I was like three years old. So I started preaching in churches when I was six. I spent my whole life studying to be in the ministry. I was interning by the time I was like 14. So that's all I had ever done. That's all I had ever worked for. Now I'm like 30, in my early 30s, and I don't know what the fuck to do because I've spent my whole life building for this one thing, and now I'm totally like, totally outside of it. Uh, And so... How do how then do you have a faith in a creator when you have no religious structure to get you there? Because that's what you've relied on your whole life is this religious structure. So I got started questioning a lot. Like I got to the place where I was like, okay, is there even a creator? Am I if I uh, was wrong about all this other stuff? Maybe I'm wrong about that too. And through a lot of questioning and a lot of searching and a lot of like really intense uh, debate, I was like, I don't think there is. I don't think there is a creator or anything because I can't prove that there is. And there's, to me, there's more proof that there's nothing there than there is proof that there is something there. Uh, And if there is a God, then it has to be a God that we can't understand. Because then if we could understand God, then wouldn't that make us gods also? Like, what the fuck? So I got really, really like way shaken in that, in my faith. And that was like, okay, I guess there's no God. There's no religion. There's no church. There's no anything. Jesus was just a guy that had a bunch of stories made up about him. And that got, that became really scary because the further I went into that path and I started getting into like quantum theory and quantum uh, mysticism and stuff and like really focusing, like thinking through the actual existence of things. Um, And the deeper I went, like the scarier it got because it was like, I can't, I can't imagine an existence where there is no being that is greater than I am. Where there's no other source to tap into for help. There's no other source that I can go to and say, I need you. 
It's like a ba- when a baby looks up to their parent. They're like they need to be held and they need to be hugged and they need to be taken care of. If they didn't have a parent, they would just be on their own. That's how it started to feel to me. Like how can how the fuck can I be on my own here? And if I am on my own, then what the fuck is the point of all of this shit? Like, why do I even exist? What are we doing here? I pop up and I'm here for, you know, maybe 80 years if I'm lucky, which is a really fucking short time. So maybe I'm here for like 60 or 70 years and I, and people will say he lived a long life and that feels like nothing. And then within like, what, probably three weeks of my death, nobody will know who the fuck I was. Do we really remember people who died? We remember, I remember my granny. I remember, I mean, we remember the people that are close to us, but friends of friends and people like that we're not that closely related to, when they pass away, we go, oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. And then we probably don't even think about those people again until maybe it pops up on Facebook when they're saying, oh, it's been a year. And you're like, oh shit, I forgot that person died. So, that's what I that's what I have to look forward to. This is what I was thinking. This is that's what I have to look forward to. When I die, nobody will remember who the fuck I was. And it won't really matter. Because there's nothing here, there's no reason, there's no purpose. There's and I found out that if there's no reason and there's no purpose, then there's also no hope. What do you have to hope in and hope for if there's no greater existence or purpose there's no afterlife there's no god who loves unconditionally and will will take care of you and wants what's best for you if there's none of that then where's your hope your hope you're just existing you're just floating around and then you die one day and who cares well then why don't you just go ahead and die it doesn't matter anyway, right? Why live the 70 years? It doesn't matter. This is the place I got to, and I got really super depressed again. And I was like, that can't be the, that can't be how it is. I mean, that is a scary, scary fucking thought. What is the world without hope? I mean, I started a thing years ago called Hope is Human because... I was working in downtown Dallas and I had built some relationships with homeless people and I found out that homeless, the homeless people in a lot of cases, they are where they want to be. They don't need jobs and homes. They don't need um, really food because they, a lot, I mean, there's a lot of food for them. They get a lot of food, right? So if you try to give, a lot of the homeless people I was friends with, like if I try to give them food, they'd be like... What am I going to do with that? I don't have a refrigerator. I mean, I don't have a can opener. I don't have... They can only take so much with them, right? So they can only take what they have, what they need for the next couple of hours. And then they're... That's it. That's as far ahead as they think and they plan. They can't carry a bunch of stuff. They can't store anything. So they can only think in small segments of time. So when people were like talking about the, in these great debates about how do we solve homelessness, I'm like over here waving my hand going, you can't solve homelessness. It's unsolvable. It's a, it's a problem for you, but it's not a problem for a lot of the people that are there. It's just where they want to be. And you would only know that if you were on the streets building relationships with these people. You would only know that if you were actually doing the work that you claim to want to do. So when I would have people say, here's how I think we should solve homelessness, I would say, well, how much time have you spent on the streets? Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, I volunteer uh, at a soup kitchen. and uh... no, 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 no. How much time have you spent on the streets? Have you gone to Tent City? Have you ever been there? You know where it is? We have a Tent City? Um, <laughs> yeah. And what I found out when I was on the streets is that people just... More often than not, the people on the streets just wanted to feel human. They just wanted somebody to be their friend and care about them and say, hey, I love you. And so I would take care of my friends by asking them what they needed. What do you need? Not, hey, man, here's some food or, you know, here's a dollar. But what do you need? 
And they were, oh, man, I really need some socks. All right, I'll go get you some socks, man. And then I give them the socks, and I'd be like, "Hey!" And I give them a hug, and they would cry. I mean, how many, how many? Um, if you think about it, how how many hugs a day do you think homeless people get? I mean, not a lot, right? People are mostly trying to avoid homeless people. A lot of homeless people try to avoid each other. So friendships and feeling like you matter and getting hugs and feeling like you like you're cared about, all those kind of things are like are like a rarity in that community. And that so when I would go down and I would uh, build relationships with these people, I would just sit and talk with them and I would just ask them questions. And a lot of times they don't want to be asked questions either. So if you just walk around with them, just hang out, just you know. But the point is that I realized that it's a tough existence when you go through life like when when all you want is a hug and nobody will give you a hug, right? Like I love hugs, but sometimes I'm like, man, I haven't been hugged in a while. And it stands out. So, you, you know, somebody gives you a hug, you're like, fuck, that's awesome. I love hugs, okay? So I said all that to say that, that the project that I started was called Hope is Human because I felt like hope is a human necessity. What do you do when, you have, when you've lost hope? I mean, when you've lost everything else, a lot of times the only thing keeping you going is that you have hope that it's going to get better. You have a hope that, that there's like tomorrow morning's coming and the sun's going to rise and I'm going to be okay. You're living moment by moment, but you the only thing that you're hanging on to is hope. And there's a human element because once you lose hope, you've lost everything. And I found out in, in my faith pursuit, I found out that my hope in uh, hoping for like a God was kind of everything. Because if there's no God, then there's no hope. And then if, if there's no hope, then I've lost the purpose. I've lost the point. I've lost my drive. So I was like, look, I can't live this way. Even if I can't prove beyond doubt, because there's a lot of doubt. But even if I can't prove that God exists, I'm going to accept that he does. Because I cannot live in a, in a reality where there is no God. I just can't. And if that makes me weak, and if that makes me um, whatever uh, negative thing, if that means that I'm crutching on to something, you know, whatever, fine. That's okay. I'm, I'm not against admitting that I'm, a, that I'm weak. But hoping in myself was not enough. Because I know me, and I know that there's got to be something better than me out there that I can, <laughs> I can go to, right? So there's got to be hope. So there's just going to be God. There's got to be. God is... I need God. And that was, that was where I was at, right? So now... I've come to a place where it's like, I've accepted that there's a God. I'm back there. I don't know much else about what is real or not real or acceptable or not acceptable. I'm still kind of going through all of that stuff. And I'm really trying to figure out how to have a faith in God that is just for me. That is just based on what I believe and what I... Uh, have researched and discovered and what, you know, that is just about what I believe. That's not uh, directed by the tenets of a religion. I can't, the, the minute that my pursuit of a relationship with God starts to feel like I'm connecting some religious dots, I back out and I'm like, fuck this. I'm done. And then I take a break because I don't want that. That is, I've been there, done that, and it's bullshit. But how do you connect with a faith without the tenets of religion? So 
this is kind of what I've been working through. My buddy texted me today and he was like, what if you look at the tenets of religion as an interpretive poem rather than a restrictive law, a book of laws, right? Okay, that's a new perspective and I kind of like it, so I'm going to pursue that. I'm going to dig through that and I haven't really done it yet, but I have to, I've had to try to separate the two and that's been difficult. But I've said all that to say, I've come to this Easter day where I was just like reflecting and I've had some guys, some like really key guys pour into my life. Uh, three, three really great guys and my best friend, Larissa, who I'm going to see in Boston this week, I mean, she has poured into my life this message that it is that it is okay to have a faith in God and pursue a faith in God that is just about you and what you believe and not connected to what some church says about you and what you have to believe. It doesn't have to be about church. And this is where the hard part for me is because I've been indoctrinated since a little bitty kid and that the only way to a strong faith in God is through the church. You have to, the church is your connection. That's your pathway. But didn't Jesus die so that he could be our pathway and our connections and we don't need that church to tell us how to do it? Now, a lot of people, I, I get the like, well, you can't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, brother. You know, where two or three are gathered. Blech. Not doing it. Maybe someday, and I'm a little jealous. Like when Larissa talks to me about how great her church service was that she went to. I'm a little jealous because I want to know what that feels like. I want to. I do want to experience that. There's, there's parts of church that I do want to experience again that I kind of miss. But not enough to go. Okay? Not enough to put it all aside because I'm working on something. I put a lot of effort into what I've to get as far as I've come. Like I've put a lot of work into just being where I'm at now. And uh, I'm not willing to sacrifice it for an experience. I've had plenty of experiences. And I don't want another experience. I don't want another manipulative experience where I walk into a place and then it's like, you're the guy that we've been waiting for. Your hair is so cool. And your earrings, everybody's going to love you. I bet you're a musician. Uh, yeah, I am. Oh, God, we need a new guitar player. Please come uh, on Wednesday to practice. That's how it goes every time. Every time I step into a church, that's how it goes. Please come practice. <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, uh, I, I just I just came because a pretty girl invited me, dude. Um, but, you know, I don't say that. Anyway, point is, I've said all this because I was thinking about Easter. And I was upset about the uh the little symbolism there the the zero paganism 100% Jesus it's bullshit that's not true there's no way it's true because you're you've literally wrecked stolen a pagan religious ceremony to make it about Jesus so how can i mean come on come on all right look this this conversation has me a little bit twisted, okay? A little upset. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to calm down. I have a song for you guys this week. I've got another song for you guys. Oh, where'd it go? Hang on. Yeah. i to make sure I know. Ah. Uh, Oh, this is Maybe Home. Maybe slash Home. This is by Lim again. Now, Lim, I've been using Lim's music as our outro. This is the song from the outro, okay? So when you hear the outro, you're hearing just a musical version. This is that music with the lyrics and everything else. So I'm going to take a break. I know we've gone We've I, That was a long segment. Uh, and then I'm going to come back real quick, and I'm going to hit you with something... A little bit lighter and then we're done okay check this out this is maybe home again 
get your stereo speakers on, get your Beats uh, earbuds, headphones, whatever you call them. What's the other one? Bose, okay? Whatever is your high-quality listening system, plug it in. Listen to this. This is Maybe Home by Lim. Woke up in a headspace of a ghost gone wrong like I don't exist. I guess I'll just stay home again. In line for the airplane, a knife in my back with your fingerprints. Tick, tick, tick on the second hand. What to say, I don't know. What the hell did I look for? God, this place is so cold. Is this life after post war? All the world in my phone. Feeling at the sore Maybe I should just go Maybe I should just go home Find me in my safe place Curled up tight, I don't have to think No lights on in the aftermath I'm still waiting for a daybreak Sunrise eyes, can you comfort me? Stay right here till it all comes back Oh my god. Again, mind blowing. Love it. Love it so much. You can find Lim soundcloud.com slash get Lim. G-E-T-L-I-M-N. Alright. This is the Tamale Mafia Podcast, a place where everything and nothing collide. You can find us on Podcast Addict and iTunes. Now, I said something earlier about my brothers. We're all like uh, wild, wild west gangsters in our own way. Okay, I've got three brothers and a sister. They're all we're all the same. We're all gangsters in some way. Not like hoodlum, bad, you know, like in and out of prison. Not like that kind of gangsters. I'm talking about like not conforming to society type gangsters. Doing our own thing. Do what we want. None of us have corporate jobs. Uh, none of us are following any kind of pathway to success, uh, the traditional pathway to success, right? Look, my oldest brother, Mark, lives in Nebraska. He lives in, uh, like, on a farm. He's got a, a chickens. He's got ducks. He's got, I don't know what else he has. He always has something that he's working on. He's wild, man, okay? He's got a big, crazy beard. He, I think he works for the uh, highway patrol. He, like, fixes, um, does maintenance on their police vehicles. I got a, my other brother. Okay, that's Mark Joseph. Uh, he and his wife sold everything, bought an RV, put their dog in it, and they've been traveling around the United States and Mexico just caravanning from city to city, exploring sightseeing, whatever you call it. They've got a blog. Their Instagram and Facebook is called Welcome to Where We're Going. You should check it out. It is fascinating. This guy, this guy's all over the place. But what he does is he goes and he like works up in the northeast, uh, northwest, sorry, for for several months. Like he worked at Yellowstone. Um, this year he's working at some other national park. Okay, he works there for like the summer, makes some money, then hits the road again, and travels around. I mean, it is wild. The guy's all over the place. 
My third brother, Adrian, that guy, he uh, has he, he's a personal trainer. He's like super buff. He's got long hair. He's like Fabio, right? He's he's like Mexican Fabio. He's like Flavio or something. He, um, he I don't know. He does all kinds of stuff. He's like uh, in trees. He's always in the trees. He climbs trees and he cuts trees and he does stuff with trees. Also, just off the grid, living in a farm. He has goats. He's got all this stuff. He's got a bunch of kids just doing great things over there. My sister is a gangster from the beginning. I mean, she was born a gangster. She's always been a gangster. She has done every single thing her own way. She's not followed anybody's rules. She's not followed anybody's path. Or, I mean, since the time she was born, she has done things her own way. She's a complete and total badass. She's my hero. Um, and so her name is Ani and she is amazing. And I don't even know what she does right now. I think she's a bartender, but she's, she does all kinds. She does, she's just doing her own thing. It's great. I love it. And then there's me, right? So I don't even know, you guys don't even know what I do, but when I'm not talking into a microphone, I'm working on the computer. I work for a company that works for other companies that are like search engines and major companies that people use to search up things. My job is to make sure that people are getting the best results on those searches and and with some other things that I am not allowed to talk about. (laughs) Uh, And then I do like web design and other stuff, web based stuff. Um, So that's, that's kind of the gangster sibling hood of the tamale mafia siblings. Um, But my brother Joseph, I saw he posted something on his Facebook and Instagram, the "Welcome to Where We're Going" um, site, and it was about my favorite topic. You guys know, you guys know what my favorite topic is, Bigfoot. You know what I said? If I see a, if I see a uh, article about Bigfoot, I'm in it. There's, I'm not, I can't walk past it. I'm in it. All right. Here's what his post says. The legend of Bigfoot started in Parma, Idaho, after an outlaw terrorized the area in the 1850s. See, I've always wondered. I mean, I know, I think, I know there's like multiple legends and different things that have started about Sasquatch and, um, what's the, the snow, the snow guy, the abominable snowman or something. But this is like Bigfoot specifically. Now this guy was an outlaw who terrorized Parma, Idaho in the 1850s. And he was killed after more than a dozen gunshots. But his death went unreported for 10 years. That caused fearful people to think they saw him out in the bush. And he was a big dude. All right, His name was Star Wilkinson, a.k.a. Bigfoot. He was 6 foot 9 inches tall with very large feet. Uh, he was apparently um, Cherokee, maybe some kind of, had some Indian blood in him. And this place built a statue to him, a memorial in 1974. So I was like, oh shit, I love Bigfoot. And uh, so I then was like, I need to know more about this guy, the Star Wilkinson guy. So there's a website, I guess, dedicated to this guy that I looked up. Oh, where'd it go? Hang on, hang on, here it is. Bigfootencounters.com will tell you all you want to know about the old Bigfoot in Idaho. Um, And I haven't read through this, but it's kind of a... Uh, backstory um, about Wil- Wilkerson. Oh, look at this. Bigfoot lived in the remote wilderness of Reynolds Canyon, now known as Reynolds Creek. $1,000 was offered for him, dead or alive. Here, the likeness to the local Bigfoot ended for the gigantic monster, as he was called in Idaho, was a killer. Ooh, he was a killer. The... Full extent of the depredations of Bigfoot were never known, nor the many robberies and murders attributed to him, which he probably did not commit. 
The sometimes wanton killings that were the work of almost superhuman strength, both with stock and humans, brought about his downfall. So they offered $1,000 for him dead or alive. John Wheeler, a former army man, set out to collect the reward. In the year 1868, he came upon Bigfoot and shot him 16 times. Wow. Both legs and one arm were broken before he fell to the ground. As he lay there, Bigfoot asked for a drink of water, and because of his great fear, Wheeler shot him. Oh, brutal. Breaking his other arm before giving the drink to the creature. Oh, dang. So before he died, he told Wheeler that his real name was Star Wilkerson, and he had been born in the Cherokee Nation of a white father. His mother was part Cherokee and part Negro. Even as a very small boy, everyone had called him Bigfoot and made fun of him. At the age of 19, the white girl he loved jilted him for another. Oh, brutal. That's it. That's it. You want to get you want to get Bigfoot on your bad side. Yeah. So at the age of 19, the white girl he loved jilted him for another man. Gathering a small band of men about him, he killed him at the time for the sheer love of the killing. Later, Wilkerson killed the girl that he had loved. Oh! Heartbreak. That's a brutal love triangle. Just, I mean, come on. He loved her and then he killed her. The foot length of this great giant of a man was 17 and a half inches and 18 inches around the ball of his foot. Oh my God, an 18 inch foot is huge. His height was 6 feet 9 inches with a chest measurement of 59 inches and his weight was estimated at 300 pounds. He was all bone and muscle, no surplus flesh. He was known to have traveled as far as 60 or 75 miles in a 24-hour period. The guy was a hauler. Wow. That is a fascinating story. Brutal. So there was a real guy. Star Wilkerson, he was humongous, he killed people, and he got shot 16 times. (laughs) Oh, man. So apparently, if you go to um, where's Joseph at? Somewhere in Idaho, right? That's what the post said. Parma. If you go to Parma, Idaho, you can see a statue of the legend of Bigfoot, Star Wilkerson, Wilkinson, Wilker, I don't know, I think it's Wilkerson. But, uh, man, fascinating story about Bigfoot. If you guys got any stories about Bigfoot, if you ever met one or seen one, or whatever your favorite is, you know what, I was watching um, Mystery Science Theater, what is it called, 3000? Yeah, Mystery Science Theater 3000, they've got this uh, one Bigfoot episode, it was freaking hilarious. But anyway, if you've got a favorite Bigfoot story, send it over to me. I want to hear it. I want to know about it. I love, I love Bigfoot stories. And uh, maybe someday we'll find one. All right. Okay, guys. I've gone long enough. I've taken up enough of your time. I wanted to kind of end it on a, a lighter note. That was a heavy story. But, I mean, dude, it's a Bigfoot story. Where, where can we go wrong with that? The moral of this story was if you have giant feet which I do, okay? If you have giant feet that are way too big for you, do not go around killing people. It'll get you shot 16 times, all right? Peace out. Tamale Mafia podcast is brought to you by me. Our intro music is also written and produced by me. You can find the Tamale Mafia podcast on iTunes and Podcast Addict. The outro music is brought to you by Lim. For more great tunes from Lim, go to soundcloud.com slash getlim. That's soundcloud.com slash 
getlimn. And as always, thanks for listening.